Hello and welcome to Maverick Messages. My name is Stephanie Botris and I'm a freshman at Providence Baptist College. So if you're ready to be inspired and to change your life for the better, take a listen. All right, James chapter 3. We're going to take a look at the end of the chapter. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Let's read it. It says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Uh, James is considered the Proverbs of the New Testament. Um, if you didn't know that, you're about to know it in a New Testament survey class coming near you. Um, and uh, Proverbs, of course, is the book of wisdom, and James is as well. And here it addresses uh, that topic of wisdom. Just to give you a little bit of context of the book of James, uh, James chapter 1 is kind of an introduction. It, it, it introduces all the main themes that are going to be uh, discussed throughout the rest of the book. Uh, wisdom is uh, breached uh, in James chapter 1. If any of you lack wisdom, that's James chapter 1. And obviously James is uh, now going further into his discussion about wisdom, uh, talking about uh, not being partial with other people, talking about uh, uh, the trying of your faith, worketh patience, and uh, having true faith. But then we get to James chapter 2 and we see that James chapter 2 focuses on how uh, faith without works is... Dead. You've got to have living faith. You've got to have faith that is real inside, but also works its way to the outside part of your life where people can observe your faith. People can uh, see how your faith works in your life. And then chapter 3 then goes on and applies this idea of faith without works is dead to a particular area of our life, which is that of our tongue. If we have faith in our lives, then our tongue will be a certain way. And he talks about how difficult it is uh, to tame the tongue. He applies illustrations to that. And he talks about how a little bit can control a large horse, uh, how a little helm can control a large ship that's being tossed with strong winds and waves. And our little tongue can control our entire lives. It can control everything about who I am, how people think of me, uh, the relationships that I have. It's all controlled by this little member, this tongue. It says in verse number five, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. Uh, it talks about how our tongues cannot be tamed. In verse number eight, uh, it says this, but the tongue can no man tame. And when I think of the word tame, uh, I think of a lion tamer, you know, with the, the chair and the whip. He's uh, training this lion, trying to uh, uh, wow the crowd with uh, how he's able to put this mighty beast into submission uh, with just a couple simple tools. Uh, and I did a little research on lion taming, and there was a world-famous one back in the 1800s, which, went, which is when this kind of thing was at its climax. Um, Clyde Beatty, he was a world-famous lion tamer, he said this, If the lions are tamed, then there is no act. The lions are tamed, there is no act, meaning the only reason people show up to watch me tame a lion is the fact that they know that that lion really is not tamed. The moment I turn my back on that lion, guess who's dead? Me. The moment I lose any uh, sense of concentration and uh, keep from this lion from attacking me, I'm dead. And the same thing is true about our tongues. It's never really tamed. 
We're in the process of taming. We're in the process of controlling, trying to corral it, but it's always bucking. It's always fighting, and it never will be submitted completely to our wills. And I think uh, this is an important truth. The tongue can no man tame. I can't tame my tongue. But who can? God can. He can tame my tongue. He can put it in submission in my life. And our tongue can never be tamed. We must always continue to tame it with the Holy Spirit's power. And we ask this question, what does a a tame tongue look like in our lives? And I think we see the answer in our text this morning, verses 13 through 18. We see this is answered with the contrast of one that is with and one that is without wisdom. It says in verse number 13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you, endued. Um, endued means to put on, to furnish, put on knowledge, to put on, to be furnished uh, with this knowledge. Who is a wise man? Just understand that you're not born wise. This is something you have to put on. This is something that uh, must uh, be applied to our lives. But the other thing I want you to notice about this, especially my grammar students, uh, is what voice is the word endued? Is endued. Who is endued? What type of voice, a verb, is that? Is that active or is that a passive voice verb? It's a passive voice verb. It's a passive voice verb. All right, that's going to be on your midterm on Wednesday, all right? Um, It's a passive voice verb. What does that mean? Does that mean I do the undoing? No, that means I receive the undoing. As a passive voice verb uh, that we are endued. Uh, If you're going to be a wise person, you have been endued with knowledge. It means this knowledge comes from above. Uh, This uh, knowledge is not your own. This knowledge uh, isn't natural to you. It's not original to you. And we can see that while I cannot tame my tongue, God can. I can see that I don't get wisdom from me. I get wisdom from God as well. And we'll develop that in just a little bit. It continues on in verse number 13. Uh, Let him show out. There it is. There's that faith in action. There's that uh, faith without works is dead. You've got to have active faith. You've got to show out this wisdom. You've got to show out this knowledge out of a good conversation, his works. But how do I do it? I do it with meekness of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom. So you might ask, well, what does this meekness of wisdom look like? What is a lack of of meekness of wisdom look like well we're going to look at the lack of it first we can see that in verses 14 and uh, verse 16 but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts glory not and lie not against the truth for where envying and strife is there is confusion in every evil work we can see that a lack of wisdom leads to envying bitter envying and strife uh, which happens often in our lives. There's always conflict with as many moving pieces as there are to an institution like Providence Baptist College, uh, to a church like Northwest Bible Baptist Church, to a bus ministry, to whatever you're involved in. There's always uh, moving parts, and whenever there's moving parts, there's going to be a little bit of friction. There's going to be a little bit of heat. And it's going to take someone in those environments who has a little bit of oil on them, who can lubricate the situation, who can dissipate the heat. And of course, Oil in the Bible, what is that a picture of? It's the Holy Spirit. It takes a Christian with the Holy Spirit in his life who's filled with wisdom, who can take these situations that naturally generate friction, that can naturally generate heat, that naturally generate uh, envying and strife, as we see in verse 14 and 16, and can diffuse some of that in uh, in those situations. We see that a lack of wisdom looks like bitter envying and strife. It seems to deal with the tongue. Uh, that the strife happens in our lives because of our tongue, as chapter 3 deals with. We also see in verse number 15, 
where it comes from. This wisdom descendeth not from above. That's not where it's from. There's, there's heavenly wisdom, there's earthly wisdom, and we're getting a description of what this wisdom is like. It is, number one, what? Earthly. It's earthly. And when I think of the word earthly, I think of the physical universe. I think of uh, just the natural observations that we can make with our physical eyes, things we can touch, scenes that we can feel. Um, that's what I'm thinking about with this wisdom that descendeth not from above. Number one, it's earthly. It's just natural. It's part of the natural world. It's what's inborn in me. There's a wisdom that's inborn in me. It just comes naturally. Uh, it comes from observation of the universe. I'm all for the scientific method. I grew up in a scientist's home, um, and it was taught early on how science works. And I appreciate science. I appreciate um, making observations and noticing trends and uh, being able to make predictions about future things. Uh, but we just don't live in a physical universe. And while those things certainly do apply, the laws of physics certainly do apply, you get on a slick road and you slam on the brakes, physics will take over. And you need to have wisdom about physical things, about earthly things, no doubt. But if as a Christian we live our entire lives about just how I see things and how I observe things, then I'm going to be missing out on an entire another world. You talk about the laws of sowing and reaping. You talk about the laws of giving. Give and it shall be given unto you. You know, when I give things, you know what happens to my bank account? Does it go up or down? It goes down. That's earthly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom says, when I give, guess what happens to my bank account? It's going to go up. It's going to go up. God will bless me. God will bless me. I may not see it today. I may not see it tomorrow, but I will see dividends. I will see blessing because of it. Number two, you can not only do you see that this wisdom is earthly. It just comes from natural um, you know, observations, but it's also sensual as well. What makes sense emotionally? How you feel. You can't make decisions in how you feel. Uh, of course, Jeremiah says, our heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, this is just not the thing, uh, what I should be basing my decisions upon, how I feel, uh, how uh, just, just my gut instinct. Gut instinct can work for a lot of situations, but it can't. Uh, you can't get through your entire life working on how you feel. Thirdly, you can see that it's devilish. You can see it's devilish. Um, the lost has no Holy Spirit working in their lives. However, they are of their father, the devil. Worldly wisdom is just that. It's worldly, it's sensual, and in some cases, it's inspired of devils. It's inspired of Satan himself. And woe is the Christian who takes on worldly philosophies in his life, who take on the world's wisdom and tries to operate his life um, by wisdom that is just simply based on physical or based on emotion, or has its origins in the spirit world, uh, coming from devils, demons, and Satan himself. That is not something that the Christian should involve himself in his life. Understand that wisdom that is from above is not natural. Uh, it comes only from walking with God. Our default is worldly wisdom. I wake up every morning, and guess what I'm pre-programmed to do? Live in worldly wisdom to live by the wisdom of this world, to judge things with my eyes, with my emotions, and in some cases borrowing from wicked philosophies uh, of the world. But what does the Bible say about this issue? It says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, you probably have this one memorized, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Proverbs 16 and verse number 25 says this, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There it is. It seems right. Man, this is what looks good to me. 
Uh, Proverbs 23 and verse number 4. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Cut it out. Cut it out of your life. Replace it with something better. Replace it with something that actually will last in your life. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse number 23 says this. Uh, it says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. If I'm going to glory in anything, it should be in Jesus Christ and anything that he has freely given to me, including uh, his wisdom. And so that begs the question, if, if that's what worldly wisdom is like, then what is heavenly wisdom like? Well, we have to understand where we get it. Where do we get this heavenly wisdom? Obviously, uh, the term heavenly wisdom kind of tips you off, doesn't it? Uh, it comes from above. Uh, we see, first of all, uh, that it comes from salvation in Christ. It comes from salvation in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 30 says this, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who, is, who of God is made unto us wisdom. We are in Jesus Christ. If you're saved this morning, you have something from God. You're in Jesus Christ, and Christ Jesus is made unto you to be wisdom. You understand the lost world doesn't understand this book at all. It reads it. It sees nothing but confusion and uh, dark sayings and parables. But when a Christian, someone who's been born again, who's in Jesus Christ and God and Jesus has been made wisdom unto them, they look at this book and they see entirely different things. They see wonderful things out of the book of God. In Colossians chapter 2. And verse number three, it says something similar about this issue of getting wisdom from being saved and in God in Christ. It says in Colossians chapter two, verse number three, and in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ Jesus is the one in whom all of these things are hidden. We find knowledge through salvation in Jesus Christ. But not only that, do we find salvation in Christ. We also find that salvation comes from God's Holy Spirit in Isaiah chapter 11. And verse number 12, uh, it says this, And he shall set up an ensign for the nations. Excuse me, not that verse. Uh, verse number 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the counsel of, uh, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This is a messianic prophecy talking about Christ and how the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit in my life. Uh, he indwells the believer. He's there. He's accessible. And if we ask him, he will give us wisdom in every situation in which we need it. Not only do we get wisdom from being in Christ, we get wisdom from the Holy Spirit which indwells us. But we see in Psalm 119 verses 97 and 98, it tells us that we get wisdom from God's commandments, from the, from the word of God. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. We understand that God's commandments uh, give us wisdom. It reminds me, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land, whither ye go to possess it. Keep, therefore, and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of of the nations to keep and obey the commandments of God. God's word gives us a source 
of wisdom in our lives. We also understand that not only salvation in Christ, but the Holy Spirit and even God's word, but we understand that other believers who walk with God can give us wisdom. Proverbs 15 and verse number 22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. And of course, going back to our text as well, uh, we go back to that first mention of wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. You gotta pray for it. You gotta pray for heavenly wisdom. It's not something you're born with. It's not something that comes natural. You can't rely on your uh, physical observations. You can't rely on your emotions. You can't rely on philosophies of this world. You've got to get your wisdom for yourself from the original source. It's got to come from God. It's got to come from God in your life. It says in verse number 17, it says this, But the wisdom that is from above is first, is first pure. That word first, I think, is important. It's a priority. It shows us First of all, overarching principles about wisdom. Number one, it is pure. And I, I remember what Pastor Kavanaugh said about the word purity. What is purity? It's freedom. It's freedom from admixture. It's freedom from guilt. It's freedom from angst. It's freedom from conflict. It's freedom from bitterness in our lives. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. It's pure. It gives me a clean conscience. The wisdom that from above uh, gives me a clean slate with which to work. It gives me uh, clarity in my relationships. Uh, it gives me understanding about what happens tomorrow and understand that he already is in my, in my tomorrow. Although today may seem unclear, I already know that he's there tomorrow working everything out for my good and for his glory. Also in this list, we see that it's then it's peaceable. It's gentle easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. We see that uh, it has everything to do with the tongue, once again. Peaceable, gentle. You can have a peaceable tongue, you can have a gentle tongue or not. Easy to be entreated, which means approachable, where people can come to you and feel comfortable asking for something and not worry that you're going to bite their head off. Uh, full of mercy and good fruits. Man, that just speaks to me of a tongue that is right with God without partiality. Or you don't talk about people, you don't judge people without hypocrisy. Once again, our tongue again. And we see that all of these things look like what it says in verse number 13. Out of a good conversation, his works with what? Meekness of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom. All of these things look like meekness of wisdom illustrated in our lives. There is an inseparable bond between these two concepts. Meekness and wisdom that helps us resolve conflict in our lives meek of course does not equal weak they're not the same thing of course uh the message last night uh talking about moses numbers uh chapter 12 and verse number three tells us that moses was the meekest man in all the earth uh during his lifetime you'll never find a more meek man than moses does that mean weak certainly not uh moses was anything but the picture of weakness uh i don't know uh but you know going on a road trip with two million people uh, probably took some organization, probably took some leadership skills, probably took uh, a commanding uh, persona and personality where uh, people could be drawn to his uh, leadership abilities. But at the same time, uh, he was a meek man. Moses was the balance of meekness and wisdom, could, uh, could fellowship with God, was a friend of God's, and yet uh, had the wisdom of God and yet did it with meekness in his life. Often we can become unbalanced in our lives and we'll have meekness but no wisdom or we'll have wisdom but no meekness in our life. If you're all meek but no wisdom, you're a soft pushover. 
you're not doing anything. Uh, you're not standing strong. You're just whatever happens, happens, and I'm, I'm just, uh, just willing to go along uh, for the ride. All wisdom, but no meekness? You're proud. You're foolish. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says that knowledge does what? It, puff up, it puffeth up. Man, that's, meek, that's wisdom without meekness in our lives. We can be proud and foolish and haughty in our lives. And if we want to re resolve conflict in our lives, we need a balance of this meekness and this wisdom in our lives. Many of you come from different backgrounds, different home lives, uh, but every family uh, has its own set of conflicts, right? Uh, and every family deals with conflicts in their own way. Uh, some families, uh, they like to deal with conflict very loudly. They do so very loudly. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Ah, that's my family. We throw stuff around our place. Um, but that's how some people deal with uh, conflict. It's all yell. It's all screaming. It's all slamming doors. It's all acting out. Man, that's one extreme. But you know what the other extreme is? It's when you don't even talk about it. Not talking, being silent or giving the silent treatment. I don't know if you've ever been on the end of silent treatment. Don't worry, Zane. It's coming, all right? You're going to get the silent treatment one of these days, amen? But it's coming. And guess what the silent treatment is? Is that meekness of wisdom? No, it's not. It's not resolving conflict. It's letting conflict sit there. It's letting conflict simmer right below the surface. It's planting seeds of bitterness and resentment. Dealing with the conflict commonly and in the spirit, that's the middle ground. That's where we should be, not these other extremes. And we will resolve the conflict, uh, each admitting fault and forgiveness being offered. That is meekness with wisdom. That's meekness of wisdom in our lives. Uh, we often use this term, fighting fundamentalist, a fighting fundamentalist. Um, and true, there are things that we should fight for, amen? Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 12, uh, he, Paul is talking about fighting the good fight, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7. I have fought a good fight, and we're supposed to fight the good fight of faith, which kind of defines the fight that we're supposed to be engaged in. Uh, not a fight of my personal uh, belief system, but a fight of faith, the fight of God's word, the fight of Bible doctrine, the fight of purity of the scriptures. Uh, but there's also a bad fight as well. We can see it in the very next chapter, James chapter 4 and verse number 1. The very next verse after our text, it says this, For whence come wars and fightings among you. There's a bad fight too. There's a good fight to, do, to, to fight, and we should be fighting for those things. But often, uh, we become known as fighting fundamentalists, not because we're standing for right, but because of our disposition, but because of our nastiness, our use of our tongue to cut other people down. And we don't need to be a fighting fundamentalist uh, in those areas. We should be a calm Christian instead. Meekness of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom. And we see it concluded here now in verse number 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. If you're not careful, you just skip right over that verse and like, okay, I'm not sure what that verse means. Let's break it down real quick. What is being sown in this verse? It's a metaphor here, obviously using an agricultural metaphor here, planting seeds, getting things growing, getting fruit from the things that were planted. What is being planted? What does it say? The fruit of righteousness is being planted. Well, wait, do you plant fruit? Well, what's inside of a fruit? Seeds. So where do we get this fruit from in the first place? Where do we get the fruit? From the right source. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You can go down through that list. 
You got to get that fruit of righteousness. You got to get it from the Spirit. You can go. You can see the entire book of Galatians on that topic. Uh, but we've got to walk in the Spirit. We cannot be in the flesh. I've got to. I've got to commune with God on a daily basis. This own wisdom that I have, it's not going to cut it. God, I need a daily dose of you. I need a daily dose of wisdom in my life. Where else am I supposed to get this fruit of righteousness that I'm supposed to plant? How is it sown? How is it sown? And the fruit of righteousness is sown. How? It's sown where? In peace. That's how it's sown. It's sown in peace. And who sows this fruit? Those that make peace. You want peace in your life? You want to resolve conflict in your life? You're going to have to start planting seeds of peace. You're going to have to start planting the fruit of righteousness that's born in your life. It's going to take some time. You're going to have to get in the Spirit. You have to walk in the Spirit. It's going to take some time for that fruit of the Spirit to emerge in your life before you ever have a chance to pluck that fruit off and plant it in the ground around you. And in every relationship, you can plant the fruit of righteousness, plant the fruit of righteousness, plant the fruit of righteousness, and you're going to end up with a peaceful life all around you. And it doesn't come from your wisdom. It comes from above. It comes from heavenly wisdom in our lives. We can try to deal with conflict our own way. We can try to deal with scenarios uh, the way that you know, we see it work, the way we feel it should work, or even from worldly philosophies, well, we've got to do it the Bible way. We've got to control our tongue. I can't tame it. I can try to manage it, but the Holy Spirit can. God can train my tongue. God can tame my tongue. God can give me direction. Um, and in every relationship, whether it's a roommate, uh, relationships. There's always conflict there, amen. Uh, whether it's uh, between you and a sibling, whether it's between you and uh, a mom or a dad, whether it's between you and a, a member of the faculty here, uh, whether it's between you uh, and uh, someone at work, whether it's between you and someone at home, you can resolve those conflicts. You can resolve those conflicts. It just takes meekness of wisdom. Not your own wisdom, heavenly wisdom. Wisdom that comes from above. You've got to plant the fruit of righteousness in your life to resolve those conflicts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the day you've given to us. Thank you so much for your word and the lesson we can learn, lessons we can learn from it. So many things going on in our lives, so many relationships, so many moving parts, so many opportunities for offenses to come. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help our students resolve those conflicts to use meekness of wisdom uh, to address those issues in a proper spirit, in a proper manner, to ask for forgiveness, to extend forgiveness, uh, to admit fault to one another. And whatever the situation may be, I pray, Lord, that we can resolve those issues today. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Thank you for joining today's Maverick message. We hope that you found this to be inspiring and life-changing. Thank you for listening. God bless.